Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me by ordering the memoir of Brian Grant and his battle with young-onset Parkinson's called Rebound. Order your copy on Amazon or visit your favorite brick-and-mortar bookstore to grab one. Are you a Kindle reader, audiobook listener? We've got those versions as well. Support Brian's Foundation, which supports those afflicted with Parkinson's, and pick up your copy today. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram, at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places, but there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you're not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. If you read or hear about the first round series between the Los Angeles Clippers and Dallas Mavericks and how the Clippers prevailed in Game 7 to advance, you're probably going to be told that Kawhi Leonard showed how clutch he could be and Luka Doncic once again came up just a little bit short in the fourth quarter and Paul George defied his reputation for not coming up in big postseason games. All of which is true. But it's kind of cartoonish, right? It's Superman versus Batman. And Batman just happened to have a hunk of kryptonite on his tool belt. Or Superman suddenly discovered that he's not allergic to kryptonite. Whatever. You can tell I'm not a Marvel Comics or superhero disciple. Anyway... That's what bothered me when I heard the narrative that the Mavs were successful in Game 5 because they got Reggie Jackson to take almost as many shots as Paul George. It's not about who is taking the shots. It's about how they're created and where they're coming from. Reggie Jackson and Marcus Morris proved themselves to be the best catch-and-shoot three-point shooters on the team this year, maybe in the league. If PG and Kawhi are driving and kicking to them, I want them taking all the shots, unless PG or Kawhi are finishing at the rim or Kawhi is hitting that little clothesline pull-up jumper of his. Suggesting this was a battle between Doncic and PG slash Kawhi doesn't really capture what made this series so fascinating and unique. What made this series all that, along with Risky, which I'll get to in a minute, is that you don't, you don't usually see X-factor personnel moves by coaches loom so large in a first-round series in the NBA. 
The finals, yes, that's often what it comes down to, but it's it's generally little tweaks, uh, changes in matchups when it comes to the primary players. Yes, that happens in the first uh, in a series in the first round. A change in how to defend certain plays or certain players. Okay, but the series between the Clippers and Mavericks had all that, and. Concluded with the Clippers winning Game 7, 126-111. to 111. After essentially seeing Clippers coach Tyron Lue shuffle and then reshuffle both his starting lineup and his entire playing rotation over the course of the series. Gradually developing a formula that brought it all home in Game 7. Patrick Beverly and Avica Zubac started Game 1. By Game 7, they were out of the rotation. Terrence Mann and Luke Kennard, who played a combined 14 seconds in Game 1, all 14 by Mann, were his primary subs in Game 7, Mann playing 26 minutes and Kennard playing 15. Luke started all this by sliding Reggie Jackson into the starting lineup for Beverly after losing Games 1 and 2 at home. Keep in mind, the Clippers had a shot at winning both of those games, so it wouldn't have been crazy for Lou to stay with what he had. But after watching the Mavs put five three-point shooters on the floor with Maxi Kleber at center, thereby allowing Doncic to seek out a pick-and-roll with whoever Pat Beverly or Zubac were guarding, cause a switch, then either shoot a three over Beverly or on Zubach, who wouldn't come out to challenge him that far, or drive on either one of them, or drive, draw a double team, and then find one of the other four sharpshooters for an open three. Well, all of that resulted in the Mavs shooting well over 50% from three through the first two games. And this is a Mavs team that was 18th in the league, shooting 36% from beyond the arc, during the regular season. Now, despite winning game three, Lou realized after falling behind 30-11, well, that maybe falling behind 30-11 wasn't necessarily a formula for winning. And falling behind 30-11 while the Mavs made seven threes in the first six minutes and 12 seconds, that he needed to make one more switch and take Zubac out of the starting lineup as well. Now, if he'd had his choice, I'm sure Lou would have played Serge Ibaka, acquired from Toronto for this exact role. Stretch five, essentially. But Ibaka missed a good chunk of the end of the regular season with a back issue, and after seeing him in a limited role in games one and two, it was clear that Serge's back just isn't allowing him to move well enough to handle all the work necessary for an undersized center. So, Lou started... Six foot eight small forward Nicholas Batum at center in game four after using him as the first guy off the bench in game three. Batum coming in for Zubach was one of the things that turned that early lead by the Mavs uh, and closed it up dramatically by the end of the first quarter. Rick Carlisle, Mavs coach, meanwhile, realized that in a small ball battle, the Clippers had more talent than he did. So he went the other direction, playing Boban Marjanovic for the first time in the series in Game 4 
with 15 minutes off the bench. That's seven foot four Boban Marjanovic with the seven foot 10 inch wingspan. And by the way, if you Google his name, if you just put in Boban, I don't know how he did this, but put that into Google and the first thing that comes up is Boban Morvanovic with a little photo of him and it says Serbian actor. Uh, obviously, he, he was in one of the John Wick uh, movies. Uh, I don't know how he did it. I just assume that Boban found a way, way to do it. But I love the fact that that is how he's identified. In any case, uh, Boban's 12 points and 6 rebounds in that Game 4 15-minute stint convinced Carlisle to go all in. So he started him for the pivotal Game 5 with the series tied at 2. Boban's size, in turn, convinced Lou to put Zubac back in the rotation. In part because getting caught guarding Boban in Game 4 put Paul George and Marcus Morris both into foul trouble. The Game 5 loss apparently convinced Lou to abandon trying to match up with Boban and worry more about having five guys on the floor who all had the size and mobility to make Doncic work to get to his spots. This is where the war of attrition began to turn for the Clippers. One of those subtle decisions whose wisdom and effect shows itself like one of those portraits or paintings being created in real time. You see all the lines and colors and swirls, but it isn't until the end that they come together and you suddenly you see the masterpiece. You see the portrait. Lou also made one more tweak. He kept Rajan Rondo, who looked good in the early losses, but was not the difference maker we've come to know him to be in the postseason, on a short leash and finally gave sharpshooter Luke Kennard a chance. And that was in Game 6. Kennard only made one shot, a pull-up jumper, and missed all three of his three-point attempts, but he showed the moment was not too big for him. He also forced the Mavs to guard him out at the three-point line in a way that they did not guard Rondo. So one of those missed threes actually resulted in an offensive rebound and Kennard's pull-up jumper. This also may have been valuable in that Rondo did a nice job making Doncic work for his points in the first couple of games. But at 34, it takes a lot of energy. And he was giving up a lot of size to Doncic. Kennard gave Lou a fresh body to do the same thing, although Kennard did a pretty nice job of avoiding getting switched onto Doncic, showing until PG or Kawhi could recover and then getting back to his man. Rondo took it on like, I want to guard Doncic. And again, did a nice job, but you felt as the games and the series went on, Doncic was kind of figuring out how he could play Rondo and take advantage of him. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. 
Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Through all this, Rick Carlisle tried one more Hail Mary move in Game 7, giving Trey Burke some early second quarter run, hoping for some kind of spark. Trey had not been in the rotation at all. Uh, played one game, played mostly garbage time in the Clippers' blowout win. Uh, the spark did spark never showed up. Trey went scoreless on three shots and at six feet, 185 pounds, he couldn't possibly guard the array of interchangeable six seven, six eight players the Clippers had on the floor between Kawhi, Marcus Morris, PG, Kennard, and Terrence Mann. Reggie Jackson at 6'2 and 200 pounds was the closest thing to Trey, and that wasn't a matchup that worked for him either. Other than that, Carlisle essentially decided to ride his starting five. Luca, Dorian Finney-Smith, Tim Hardaway Jr., Boban, and Kristaps Porzingis as hard and long as he could, all except Boban playing damn near 40 minutes or more. Finney Smith played 39. Everybody else was 40-plus. Doncic never left the floor in the second half, got a little breather in the second quarter, ended up playing almost 45 minutes. Perhaps, predictably, as Game 7 wore on, the Mavs wore out, especially Luka. You didn't see it on the offensive end as much as on defense, where in the second and third quarters, he was horrendous. The box score ended up looking really good. Best of the series with 46 points and 14 assists. But that doesn't really tell the story. He was involved in everything offensively in the third quarter. And yet, the Clippers outscored the Mavs 30-23, to building on their eight-point halftime lead. A putback by Kawhi Leonard when Doncic failed to box him out or go for the rebound, which then turned into a three-point play when Kawhi was fouled by Finney Smith, squashed the glimmer of hope the Mavs had cultivated by cutting the lead to eight with two minutes left in the third quarter. The three-point play by Kawhi pushed the difference back into double digits and a couple of canard threes to end the quarter took whatever life was left from the Mavs. The bigger picture here is what it took for Lou to make all the changes he made. Now, Carlisle was gutsy too. The move to Boban Maranovic and starting him in game five was gutsy. That's a huge pivotal game, especially for a coach who has not been out of the first round since he coached the Mavs to their championship back in 2011. So a big move, but all in all, Lou made the bigger, gutsier moves. It's a combination of guts and trust. Keep in mind, Carlisle's been around. He's the president of the Coaches Association. He's established. Tyron Lou is still trying to prove that he is not Doc Rivers' light and that he is not just the beneficiary of having coached LeBron James in Cleveland, and that's why he has a ring to his name as a head coach. Yes, he was an assistant for the Clippers last year, but 
he had no familiarity with Kennard. Never coached him until this year. Couldn't have known for sure how he'd respond in the postseason. It would have been easier to go to Patrick Patterson, who was on last year's team, as a floor spacer and defender. Although Kennard has shown over the course of the year that he can make some plays and has a touch more offensive versatility than Patterson. Still, going with Kennard, sitting Pat Bev, then essentially sitting Rondo, not staying with size on size to deal with Boban by playing Zubac, and he still had DeMarcus Cousins on the bench too. It could have been another option. But he decided to go uber small, and as a result, what he was saying is that he was going to trust his team to A, drive despite having Boban looming, and B, shoot threes the way they did in the regular season. Now, all of that is a gamble. A calculated one, but a gamble nonetheless. And trust me, when dramatic changes like these don't work, there's a lot of fallout. There's a reason why coaches stayed with the tried and true. Why they're reluctant to just throw things against the wall. The kind of things that fans love to, to suggest. Like... You should do this. You should do this. Look, Lakers, same situation with Montrez Harrell. Everybody wanted him playing in the postseason. The Lakers knew over the course of this year what they had and what wouldn't work. And although Montrez's box scores might look good, ultimately, Frank Vogel had no faith that he could win the matchups or play the role necessary in order for the Lakers to win. So... Ty Lu made all kinds of changes. And if you win, you're okay. But you better win. And this went seven. And he was still making changes as of the seventh game. Owners aren't big on mad scientists when the experiments blow up. The bench players are unhappy, which means they can affect your chemistry, especially if they're benched in a losing cause. Their agents are unhappy. It can affect future negotiations, which can make GMs mad for the extra work you've created for them. You also are trusting, if you're Lou, that Batum will do the grunt work of trying to affect where Boban gets the ball. The thankless grunt work. Because he's trying to defend him and Boban's elbows are at his forehead. Really easy to get discouraged in a situation like that. And how many times has Batum played center? Never mind against someone as gargantuan as Boban. A coach and a player can both look silly trying to make a size mismatch work. The impulse is to get a big body in there to make the catches harder or to more easily contest a shot. But what also worked for the Clippers is that the Mavs had to play slower with Boban in the lineup. Between having defenders who could force Luka to pivot his way to a step-back jumper rather than take them off the dribble, and having to wait for Boban to get position and then dump it into him, it made Dallas play more deliberately than they wanted to. After the first quarter, Carlisle said he wanted his team to play fast and furious, then changed it to fearless, maybe realizing that he was stealing from a movie title or franchise. Well, the Mavs did that in the first quarter, scoring five fast-break points. But they only got three more the rest of the game. Carlisle did the Clippers one other favor. While Boban certainly isn't in the class of Rudy Gobert as a defender, 
he is in the same category as a big with an enormous wingspan. Gobert is a little more mobile, but Lou got a pretty good taste of what his team can do when it goes small against a Goliath. I would think he and the entire Clippers team goes into Utah for Game 1 with a lot more confidence about their ability to succeed playing that way than they otherwise would. And if not, another chess, chess match between the head coaches will no doubt ensue. And that is more fun for us. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes or wherever it may be. The star ratings make us more accessible and more visible. And if you like this podcast and think other people should be listening to it, that's your way of making sure that they do. A star and a rating. Well, five stars actually would be helpful, but that's up to you. The playoffs roll on with the Game 2 of Milwaukee and Brooklyn and Game 1 between Denver and Phoenix. And we still have to get into the Atlanta and Philadelphia 76ers and the Hawks pulling an upset in Game 1 and whether that is an indicator or an outlier. So, plenty of choices for the next podcast. In the meantime, as always... Thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.